Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Casper. I'm so excited about this conversation. It's not a traditional The Real Question conversation, but we are going to study a text and what it means to you because I'm going to interview you about your fabulous new book, Praying with Jane Eyre, which comes out today. And it's the most beautiful book, the most important book. It's beautifully written. It's hilarious. It's intimate. I feel like it's the best thing I can say is that it's really you on the page. And so I fell in love with you all over again as I've read it and reread bits of it. And it's just... I'm just so excited for you. And I'm so proud of you for getting it out into the world. So congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Have you minded being my like book guru? You went through all of this a year ahead of me. And so I feel like I've been your younger sibling sort of following behind being like, oh, that's what the fourth grade's going to look like. Oh, that's what my first one star Amazon review is going to feel like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's like two baby ducks leading each other across a very busy highway, and we hope people will buy the book, i.e. will live to the other end of the highway. (laughs) But I really want to talk about the book, Praying with Jane Eyre, Reflections on Reading as a Sacred Practice. And I want to take you way back to when we really got to know each other, which was in Divinity School. You defended your thesis, which was also called Praying with Jane Eyre, in 2015. And by that point, you'd already been thinking about this book. You'd been thinking about sacred reading as someone who wasn't traditionally religious for a number of years. And so I want you to just tell the story of your relationship with Jane Eyre, the book, from when you fell in love with it and how it's changed in this process of writing about it with such close attention. So I read it for the first time when I was 14. It was my mom's favorite book, and I was really excited to get it when I was 14, and I just like knew it would be my favorite book. And then I reread it in college for a class, and then actually I didn't reread it again until I was 24 or 25, and one of my best friends, Jen Chow, and I had a book club of two, which I still love doing. And I read one of her favorite books, the Octavia Butler Dawn trilogy with her. And then she was like, "Okay, let's read your favorite book. And I was like, "Okay, I want to reread Jane Eyre. I haven't read it in a long time. Hmm. And reading it in my mid-20s, it was the first time that it wasn't just 
you know, there, there's like a famous plot twist that the first time I was like, <gasps> like literally gasped <laughs> right when I read it. And there's great romance, which I really swooned for the first two times I read it. And when I read it in my 20s, I found it gut-wrenching. It is mostly about people trying to love each other and getting in their own ways. Mm. And it is about a woman trying to figure out what to give into and what to push back against. And it is about a man with a lot of baggage trying to manipulate systems to get what he wants and like realizing the limits of that. And so at 25, it broke my heart. It just broke my heart. And since then, I kind of haven't put it down. So it's been almost 15 years Mm. where... I can't say how many times I've read it. Since then, I've read it through at least five or six more times, like from beginning to end, probably closer to 10. But like, I just pick it up all the time. And like, sort of like notoriously in my own life story, the summer that I did clinical pastoral education at a hospital, I was a chaplain intern. I carried around Jane Eyre with me. And I did Mm -hmm. it because there's a lot of downtime as a chaplain where you're like, seeing a patient and then the doctor comes in so you step outside for five minutes and i was like well jane eyre is a book that i can just like read a few pages and then not and then someone pointed out like you're carrying it like it's your bible right like priests when they visit patients Mm. carry a bible and rabbis carry a cedar and i was carrying (laughs) jane eyre i was like oh my god i am so yeah i like 15 years ago i picked it up and i just like i haven't been able to put it down that comes across so much in your writing, that that familiarity and that intimacy. Like you you talk about Jane as if she's a friend nearly, or, or I kind of imagined her as part of your extended family. Like we get <laughs> yeah. to know so many of your grandparents and your siblings and your parents. And I just feel like Jane and other people that you write about in the book kind of become, yeah, just part of your extended family. And I imagined everyone just had a strong Hungarian kind of Jewish accent and totally. was like, <laughs> you know, part of part of that context. But c- can you talk to us about what it's like to feel that connected to a fictional character? Like, is she active in your imagination day to day? Or Bertha, frankly, like a- any of the other characters that that we meet? such a good question. I feel like so many of our listeners, especially to this podcast and to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, will have similar feelings, Mm. you know, and slightly different answers to this question. But I feel like that is something that we all do, right? Like we know what Harry Potter would do in certain situations, or we like to think that we do. And, and I, and I, you know, the premise of the real question is that we love many characters and many characters Mm. can invite us in to their stories. I've carried Jane around with me in so many different ways over the years. And I think really it's like the book has earworms for me, right? Like they're just like Mm. songs that get stuck in my head, but instead they're Jane Mm. quotes. And the book (laughs) is narrated from her point of view. So even when she's quoting someone else, she's doing so from 10 years prior from her memory. So they're all sort of her words. And, you know, when I went through a breakup, the like earworm was I can live alone, right? Like, yeah that stayed in my head. And right now we're working on a hot and bothered season about Jane Eyre. And we've really been talking about Jane's resistance. And so the sentence that's in my head right now is I resisted all the way. Mm. And so I would say that she accompanies me like that, that there are just moments that echo Mm. in a way that 
you know, like quotes from Grey's Anatomy echo with me, you know, and quotes from Sound of Music do. And like I get random (laughs) musicals in my head. But Jane is the most persistent echo. And it's Mm. an echo that I never get sick of. Like day four of having certain musicals in my head, I'm like, okay, I would actually really (laughs) like for this to get out of my head. (laughs) Like, And sometimes I get mad at certain songs. I'm like, I didn't even ask for you. But Jane, like when she does appear in my head, it it sounds so nerdy, but like her voice is just always welcome. Mm. So that's what it is for me. And and yeah, I mean, a thing that I talk about in the book, which really is an image for me is that I've spent so much time thinking about Bertha Mason Rochester, the mad woman in the attic, that she is really real for me as a stand-in for what keeps me a little bit outside of religion. I literally wanted to ask you about this because because you write about that in the book and you say, you know, the, the reason, one of the reasons I left institutional religion or why I rejected so much of that kind of history is because of the way it doesn't answer my questions about suffering. I'm unconvinced, you know, I'm unfulfilled by what these traditions have to say about suffering. And yet here you've chosen a book with literally a woman hidden away in an attic, right? A woman not listened to, a woman described as as mad, whose anger isn't taken seriously, who's, who, anyway, so, so many reasons why this character is such a problem if we're looking at the text as some sort of vision of perfection. And so I wanted to ask you how, by treating Jane Eyre as sacred, how have you managed to make sense of Bertha, this this character that, you know, in a biblical story or in a, in a religious context would have been equally unsettling, I think. So Bertha is resolved imperfectly. And mm. Jane doesn't, I mean, like Jane Eyre, the narrator, does not pretend to care about Bertha. And so what's sacred to me about Bertha Mason is my relationship with her And I've spent so much time thinking about her. She's like really become this like conjured person for me. And I want my theologies and my beliefs to account for everyone. I want them Mm. to account for the people who not only I know (laughs) they're suffering on an intellectual Mm. level, but the people whose suffering I can't even imagine. And I don't want to imagine specifically about individual people because that's like, poverty Mm. porn or pain porn that is reducing someone's life only to their pain. And right, like I don't want to picture a real person. Mm. And so Bertha to me is a symbol of the pain within us all and specifically the pain of trauma, of lives, of endured trauma, whose redemption we don't fight for on earth. Mm. And so I don't know how to explain it except that she feels like a show and tell object that I can bring to like people and be like, her, tell me about her. How does your mm. theology account for her? And mm. if it doesn't, then I'm not interested in what you're selling. Mm-hmm. Well, t- tell us a little bit about the structure of the book, because, you know, for, for listeners who've been, you know, listening to our conversations for, for, for many years at this point, they might think, oh, you know, yeah, I know how Vanessa engages text, but I think you do something different in the book from what we do on the show, which is not just kind of, analyze the text and integrate it into our own lives. But there's also a a sort of secular sermon um, structure to the book. So give us a sense of what the structure of the book is like. Yeah. So hilariously enough, as an atheist Jew, I was trained to preach by a Christian minister. And so (laughs) the way that I was taught to preach, the structure that I was taught was that you preach the best news that you can 
given Mm. the liturgy that you are assigned, and you try to make it uh, speak to current events or to events that are happening to your community. And Mm. so the text that I assigned myself, my liturgy, was Jane Eyre. And rather than current events, the stories that I want Jane Eyre to speak to are my family's trauma stories. Mm. Those are the stories Mm. in my life that I always felt like I can't really make meaning of. I don't know how to handle these things. And so I've asked Jane Eyre, rather than to speak of, you know, to the difficulty of climate change or right the difficulty of living through COVID, which is what I would do if I was preaching on a Sunday. I was like, okay, Jane, please speak to me in these difficult things in my life. So the way I structured the book was picking a quote and picking sort of a trauma from my family's Mm. history and wanting to put them in conversation with each other and saying, okay, like, I want to understand this difficult thing that happened to my grandmother. I think this Jane quote will address it. And then eventually what happened is themes emerged out of that. I was like, oh, this is really a sermon Mm -hmm. about fear. Oh, this is really a sermon about kindness. This, And so each sermon became sort of all three of those things. It, be- it became a meditation on a theme, an exegesis of a piece of text, and an attempt to do some meaning making around trauma, which I think is a really complicated mm. thing to do because you don't want trauma to have meaning because mm. that would create a desire to create trauma, right? And so the line between integrating your trauma so that it doesn't hold you back and you can be a- as healed of a person as possible and like meaning making from it, I think is a precarious one. But that's what the attempt of the sermons are. I mean, they're beautiful. And what I love about it too, is that you can read it, you know, from front to back, but you can also dip in if you want to read about mercy or you want to read about uh, repentance or, or love or anger. That's how I read it. And it really worked for me. Can I tell an anecdote on that? Yeah. I was hoping for that. I'm so grateful that you feel that way. And I really went back and forth and terms of I ended up preaching the sermons chronologically within Jane Eyre. And I was like, I shouldn't because I wanted that. I wanted someone Mm. to be able to pick up and be like, I need to read about forgiveness or resentment Mm. and just pull it. And I'm so glad that you still feel like you can because once I... I was in love with this boy and we were on a trip and we were in the middle of New Mexico and we had gotten into a big fight and I felt so isolated. It was like, I was going to sound so old, but it was before cell phones. And so I like couldn't call my best friend, right? Like I was just stuck with this guy. And so I asked him to take me to a bookstore and I couldn't, I couldn't really afford to buy a book, but I stood, I, I like found one of my favorite writers and found an essay that she wrote on love and read it in the bookstore. And the fact mm. that I like as a resource could be like one of my favorite writers is going to have something wise to say about this. Mm. I want my book to feel like a resource to people in that way, that they read it chronologically, but also they're like, I'm mad right now <laughs> and like go and reach for it. I mean, I think that's so much the good news of the whole book is that you are teaching us to look at our favorite writers as resources of what to do when we're mad at the person that we're with, what to do when we're at our wit's end with our kids or we've been diagnosed with a disease. Like these books are not just entertainment, right? Like that they they are moral texts or they are friends that we get to keep close to us. And I, I wanted to ask you, you know, we've been thinking about sacred reading for some time and what do you hope for sacred reading as a practice? Like, where could it go? How how could people use this book and what it represents in ways that we, you know, we haven't done yet, maybe? I don't know if sacred reading can do this, but this is what I, my, like, biggest hope in the world for sacred mm. reading. 
is that I, this is not going to surprise a lot of people, but I'm not sure I've said this explicitly on a podcast. Like, I think bad things are coming. <laughs> like, I think mm. floods are coming and, right, like, whatever it is in the plagues, right? Like, I think pestilence is coming and, like, I don't think that this is the only pandemic that I'm going to see in my lifetime. Like, I think bad things are on the horizon. And my fear is that we will turn away from each other. Mm. And that we will build walls and pull guns and hoard resources. Mm. And I hope that sacred reading in community can build relationships between people and make our hearts more compassionate and more courageous so Mm. that we don't build walls, but build communities in those difficult Mm. moments. Mm. And I will say that I've been very inspired by like, the way that a lot of people have handled COVID. Like, I think that this instinct Mm. is a human one to applaud your health service providers, to put signs Mm. in your doorway thanking the person who's delivering the diapers that you don't feel safe going out and getting for your baby, right? Like, and and God, vaccine rollout, right? Like I cried getting both of my shots. It was just like a feat of human Mm. ingenuity and compassion so I, I feel hopeful and inspired by that, but I, I think we need to really practice that muscle. And I do think sacred reading is one of the many things that we can do to practice mm. that muscle. Mm. I loved in the essay on commitment coming across the story that we started Harry Potter and the Sacred Text with about this little town in France. And, you know, it, that story inspired both of us so much And I think in part because we struggle with commitment. Um, Mm -hmm. That's why it's so attractive to both of us. But I suddenly realized, Vanessa, like you, you are doing it. Like, I hope you, I hope you see that both in your commitment to this practice, but also to your friends, your community, to your partner, your family. Like you're one of the most committed people that I know. And I just, I, I, I hope you feel that like the thing that you work for is, is already true. Thank you. I'm not trying to be humble. I just like, there's nothing I'm committed to that I do alone. And I think that Mm. that is the thing that doing this podcast has taught Mm. me more than anything. Like nothing good that I have created, I have created alone. Mm. And I think that I used to think of myself as like pretty individualistic and like I hated group projects, right? (laughs) Like. And, you know, the acknowledgments to my book is like three pages and like I forgot some people, right? Like, and like the list wasn't long enough and 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 some of it feels like so insulting. It's like, thanks, Casper and Ariana, you're great. As if you like (laughs) didn't spend hundreds of hours with me talking and ego boosting and right, like, and so I appreciate that, but I just like privately, there is not, a single thing I'm committed Mm. to that I do alone. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Yeah, I wanted to ask about your experience of writing the book, Vanessa, and just I wondered what advice you would have you know, to yourself if you were starting again? Because I know a lot of people want to write, and I think there are so many talented, wonderful writers, as well as important stories that are out there, that that I hope people are inspired to have a go at writing. And yeah, I'm curious what, what you would say to a first-time writer or back to yourself if, if you were starting at the beginning. I mean, what worked for me, and I just like, I think everyone should write. I just hesitate to call it advice because I don't know any I don't know if it works for anyone else. But the hardest part of writing the book for me was coming up with a premise that I wanted to stick to. Mm. I found the process of picking that premise like almost torturous. Like it was <laughs> all I was thinking about. I really lost faith that I would figure out anything that I was proud of or liked or wanted to commit to. Mm. And so the thing that I did was I like I don't and again, I don't know if like you and Ariana or Matt or Stephanie would would say yes, do this because I was very annoying. But like I just talked to every friend of mine who would listen and oh, was yeah. like, what if this was the premise? What if this was the premise? like I knew I wanted it to be about Jane Eyre and my family, but I didn't know how I wanted to structure it. And and so the idea of sermons, right, like really was a hard one. And then it's not that the book wrote itself, but like, you know, then I was able to create a spreadsheet and be like, okay, I want this quote to be in conversation with this anecdote. And like that Mm. spreadsheet evolved over time. And then it was able to be like biteable chunks of like, I want to just write this one sermon. And so that was the key for me Mm. was Mm. figuring out a structure for the book. Well, and it allows you to to have memoir and humor and, you know, your own life story in there, as well as kind of textual reflection. I I think it works. I think it works so beautifully. One thing that I definitely want to make sure I say out loud is you don't need to love, let alone have read Jane Eyre for this book to be excellent. I, you know, Vanessa does a great job of like explaining what happens in the plot and giving you a sense of who's who, but it's really, I think it's your spirit and your humor and your rigor that comes through and invites us into that. I, I mean, I remember coming to the small group that you were leading when you were leading a, a, a reading group on Jane Eyre. I hadn't read the book. I read the one chapter and like showed up <laughs> and I was like, I don't know who this Rochester guy is. <laughs> like what's going on? Because the conversation as ever, it's about the text, but really it's about our lives. And so I think for readers who who read this book, they're not just going to fall in love with Jane and fall in love with you, but fall in love with themselves in a new way. And so I, I just want to encourage everyone to go buy Praying with Jane Eyre by Vanessa Zoltan. It's wonderful. Give it five-star ratings everywhere where you can and uh, and tell your friends, post about it on social and let's support Vanessa in, in sharing this beautiful book with the world. 
my goal really is that you don't have to have read Jane Eyre. Like you don't have to have read Genesis to go to church, right? Like <laughs> so real. You like go to church and you know, the like awesome minister is up there talking about, you know, separating from the heavens and the earth. And she's not like, well, this was most likely redacted from the original source material. And she's also not like, you won't get this unless you've read the whole of Genesis, right? Like <laughs> you you just need the snippet that she's talking about. And I, mm. I really tried to design the book in that way, too, to take sparklets that could be totally taken on their own. Mm. What's your hope for the book, Vanessa? What, what do you hope readers will take away as they, they close the final page? My first favorite book was Caddy Woodlawn. And it was the book that made me love reading. Mm. And the reason that it did that is because it made me feel seen by a stranger. And that mm. meant that... I wasn't weird or isolated because a woman from Kansas had had the same thoughts as I had had, and she had them 80 years before I was even born. Hmm. And that just made me feel so accompanied and that even in my most isolated thoughts, someone else was with me. And like that is my hope for the book, is that there is a moment in the book where people feel not alone. Hmm. And so like reaching out from one void to another is my hope. Praying with Jaina is on sale now. Please support your local bookstores. You can order it online wherever good books are sold. Tell your friends about it, post about it online. And, uh, you know, the first week of, of sales is always really important for future media coverage and things. So if you're thinking about it, I encourage you to get it this week. It will really make a difference um, to, to Vanessa and to all the other readers who don't yet know about it, but who will fall in love with this book. So thank you for supporting us. And I'm so grateful, Vanessa, for all of your hard work and care in putting this beautiful book out into the world. Well, I'm endlessly grateful for you. I'm like not even going to try to say how grateful I am for you, but... I will say that everyone can join us tonight if you're listening to this on July 6th. Casper and I are doing a free event tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can register at VanessaZoltan.com. You just have to register, but it's free. And we're going to be celebrating the book and at some point, you know, toasting water and tea and hopefully with people all over the world. So, Oh, I will have some sort of bubbly drink. I will uh, too. Uh, but guarantee. I just don't want to say like bubbly drinks required, but get some San Pellegrino and toast with us tonight at 8 Eastern. We'll see you there. I love you, Casper. I love you, Vanessa. Well done. It's so good. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.